Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. We are in week three of a series that we do every January where we focus around prayer. And we pray for very specific things. Now this Sunday also represents a very special Sunday in the calendar year for churches here in America at least. And it's, it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. So the last couple weeks, the first weekend we talked about prayer. Last week we talked about our mission for 2020. And today I want to talk about life. Everybody say life. I want to talk about life, but in order, um, and, and, and we've talked about life in many different fashions, but in order for you to understand where we're going uh, in Luke chapter 10, I have to take you back a couple chapters and tell you a story. In Luke chapter 7, you see a story unfold where Jesus is invited to this guy's house for dinner. Now, if you ever want an interesting study, you should study it. Look at all the people Jesus ate dinner with. It spans the gamut. He ate with prostitutes. He ate with politicians. He ate with religious folks. He ate with the poor. And in this instance, in Luke chapter 7, it is a mind-blowing story. Jesus goes to this guy named Simon's house in Luke chapter 7. And they're having dinner. Now, Simon was kind of like what we would consider a moral conservative, okay? So um, he's a Pharisee. This, this guy knows it. And he, um, he's hanging out at this guy's house for dinner. And there, there comes a knock at the door. And the door swings open, and, and, and there's a woman standing at the door, and the Bible calls her a woman of the city. Now, that doesn't mean she lives downtown. No, what this means is she is a known prostitute. Awkward. This dinner has gone off the rails already. Oh, maybe you're not, picture, picture this with me. You're sitting at dinner, a prostitute comes to your door. Things have gone squirrely. So they open the door. This prostitute is at the door, and she comes running in the door and falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. I have a daughter. She is almost five, and I have a daughter on the way. And little girls don't dream of becoming a prostitute. 
They don't write that down on a job info card that they dream of one day being abused and, uh, and shoved to the side when they get, get older. So this woman is standing at this door of this known Pharisee. Jesus is inside and she runs in with all this shame and guilt and she falls at the feet of Jesus. And begins to cry. And I'm not just talking like, like, a, like a quiet cry. I'm talking a weeping, snot-filled, heaving cry of shame and guilt and sadness at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you're picturing this with me, the next part of the story blows my mind. Simon is watching all this go down, and Simon thinks to himself, if Jesus knew who this was, he wouldn't be allowing this to happen. This is what he thinks in his mind. And Jesus responds to him. Did you miss it? He said nothing out loud, and Jesus verbally responds to Simon, and he says, Simon, let me ask you a question. There's a guy that loan, there's a loan guy, he loans out money, he loans one guy 500 pieces of silver, he loans another guy 50 pieces of silver, and forgives them both of their debt. Who would feel that the most? Who would and Simon, trying to get himself out of this now predicament he's gotten himself in by thinking, says, well, I suppose, well, maybe the guy with 500. And Jesus says, you're right. You're right. Now, you, when I came in for dinner, you'd, Simon, you didn't anoint my head, you didn't wash my feet, which was customary at the time. But this woman, in, in all of her uh, broken state, has not stopped anointing my head with oil and washing my feet with her tears since she has gotten here. And the next part is beautiful. He reaches down. And I, I can just, I picture him. This, this isn't in the text. So if you're looking for it in scripture, I'm just using my imagination here. I see Jesus reach down and he looks. The Bible says he looks to the woman and lifts her head up. And look, this, this is a woman who um, is not used to making eye contact. He lifts her head. Forgives her. And a woman who came broken leaves in peace. Now, this is what I need you to understand about Jesus. Because, and, and, and we'll get to sanctity of life here in a second. But there, there are people attached to sanctity of life. There's a baby, but there's also a mother. And so we're going to kind of wrestle with both today. He addressed her, and, and, and we've gone at this from different angles. 
um, over the years. I've preached many a Sanctity of Life message. And there's a whole bunch of science that I could just give you all kinds of facts about how at eight weeks a baby um, has brain waves. And that a baby can recoil from pain at eight weeks. Um, They can recoil from the very pain of what is reaching in to kill them. In 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, um, they didn't have the ability to sonogram and ultrasound that stomach and see the baby. They, they didn't have that. They, they didn't, not, not in 3D. They, they, they didn't have it so that you can see the baby sucking on its thumb. No. All at eight weeks. I, I could quote all kinds of statistics about how there are over a million babies aborted each year. And honestly, science isn't on the side of the choice. And, and let me just, so we believe life begins at conception. That Jesus knit us together in the womb. We believe that. Now, that, that's what Scripture tells us, that, that's what we believe because of Scripture. But at this very same time, while I believe we will step back, and, and not far from now, when I'm in my 60s and 70s, I believe we'll look back and say this was the greatest genocide of all time. And I would be remiss, if, and I have to be brave enough and courageous enough to say that abortion is murder. Now, the tough part on, on a message like this is, is that, and, and I preached a very similar message this time last year, because I think... There are many churches that on Sanctity of Life Sunday will preach, preach, preach. Uh, and and obviously the statistics are what they are. The science is what it is. We know what we know. But on the other side of the situation where a mother has to is making a decision whether to keep a baby or not is a mother who never planned on making this decision. And that's the picture I, I got from chapter uh, 7 where I can just see women across the nation running to Jesus and with, with this weight that they carry. Oftentimes, and, and look, I'll just say it out front. Um, this isn't a Republican speech. I've got my guy. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, on the ki- I'm, I'm, I'm of the kingdom party, okay? I've got my guy. There's no one in Washington, D.C. Uh, that is the hope for all nations, okay? And so this isn't a partisan issue for me. This is a gospel issue. This is an issue that at the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis where it says he created us in his likeness that the Imago Dei, the very image of God we bear even in the womb. At eight weeks, you know a baby has its own DNA? Did you know that? Its own blood type. 
Which brings us to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start in 25 and we're going to kind of work through here just a little bit. And I'll kind of show you where we're going. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Pause for just a second. I'm already concerned about this guy. He's, he's actually intentionally going out to test the creator of the universe. And so Jesus replied in 26, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Let me just very um, kind of gently break down to you um, that before Jesus gets into this parable we're studying today, uh, this lawyer has said, um, hey, Jesus, I want to test him. And Jesus kind of turns it back around to the lawyer and says, well, what does the law say, bro? You're a lawyer. You're the one who knows this. You're a religious, what it says is um, an expert in religious law. You know the law. You tell me. What does the law of Moses say? And the guy, and the guy nails the answer. Have you ever just nailed the answer? I used to be on quiz bowl in high school. I didn't play football. I tried playing tennis. I was no good at it. And so I played quiz bowl. And uh, if you don't know what quiz bowl is, if you've ever seen Battle of the Brains on, on CBS 6, they're the, they're the really nerdy kids with the buzzers. That was me. In all my glory. Now, I, all, all the being made fun of is just rising up in, from high school. Um, nothing ever could replace the feeling in high school of knowing and nailing the answer. And you know that feeling too. Well, that's what this religious expert of the law um, felt. He nailed the answer, killed it, crushed it. Jesus said, you got it. And, and this is crazy. Jesus says, do this and you'll live. He has just rocked this guy's entire world and exposed him for something. Which is, if you're following along in the notes, it's, it's the next note here that understanding, and we just talked about this a couple weeks ago, understanding in our minds does not always equal belief in our hearts. So this guy knew the answer and crushed it. And Jesus exposed his weakness by saying, okay, you know it, now do it. You know it, now do it. And then the man trying to justify, the, the scripture says in 29 here, the man wanted to justify his actions. So now he's embarrassed. The religious expert is now embarrassed 
because he's not living what he knows. Because understanding in our minds does not always equal belief in our hearts. Belief in our hearts moves us to action. Yeah, there are all types of things you know today that you don't uh, make moves on. Let's take a show of hands. How many of you know of something you should be doing, but you are not? Okay. I'm just going to call it unanimous, and we'll just call the rest of you liars. Um, um, (laughs) I love you. I love you. That's why I said that. Um, It's an open space here. That's why I told the story at the beginning, okay? you're, You're warm and welcome here. Belief in our hearts moves us to action. So the man trying to justify himself in 29 says, who is my neighbor? Okay, all right, all right, so you're telling me to do this, but let's really define who my neighbor is. Is it, my, is it the guy physically next to me? Is it, is it, um, is it people that look like me? It, is, it the, is it the people in my same tax bracket? Um, let's define, is it the people I go to church with? Who is my neighbor? Just to, uh, let me step over here for a second. Just so you know how my mind works, when I got to this point in the message, every single time I get here, um, the Mr. Rogers theme song starts going through my head. And now I can't stop it. So I'm trying to preach, and it's just ring-a-dinging in my head now. Just. That's the devil, okay? That's the devil at work trying to prevent what I'm trying to say to you. So he asked this question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus frequently answers questions with parables. So there are many times throughout scripture that people have questions, they don't know how to answer a question, and so he answers a question with the parable we're about to read. So let's just do some reading together. Luke 10, starting in verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Pause. Now, they would have known what that meant. They would have known the danger associated with traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, the road to get there. This was a place that you, even at 12 noon, you wouldn't want to be going down this road. It's a dangerous trip. And they would have known and immediately recognized that. Down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, 32, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he uh, handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, 
take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now, Jesus responds this way a lot. Now go and do the same. This religious expert would have been rattled that a Samaritan is the hero of this story. Samaritans were despised, despised by the religious elite. They were considered lesser than. Samaritans were so despised that these religious people, and and it's interesting that Jesus tells this parable this way, religious people would go around Samaria to get to their destination. They wouldn't even travel through it. And so, and, and let me just kind of put this out there as well. When we read this story, we always want to make ourselves the Samaritan. You're not the Samaritan. Um, you're the religious expert here. The, we like to place ourselves in the place where, oh, you know, that, that, I would do that. Yeah, pastor, I, I would be that Samaritan. No, you wouldn't. Not in this case. Jesus is trying to get a point across here. You, he's trying to speak to the heart of the fact that um, understanding up here does not create action. It's belief right here that creates action. And, um, and so I just want to talk very quickly about three things that make us walk to the other side. What, make us, what, what three things would make us walk to the other side of the road For us Christians today in 2020, for you, everybody say, for me. Yeah, for you. Number one is fear. Number one is fear. Y'all get real quiet when you feel convicted. I I, I feel it in the room. And I feel convicted. So, look, I'm here with you. It's okay. It's okay. It's a safe place. The very first thing that prevents us from going to the other side of the road is fear. Now, these people would have known this. This is a scary road. This guy has been beaten to a pulp and is laying naked on the side of the road. So you're already in a dangerous area. You see this cat, he's, he's gotten caught already. Are you pulling the car over? No. Fear. And I think the reason that many of us uh, struggle with that is because we have, we've made this picture of God that says Jesus guarantee, uh, that, that Jesus wants us safe. I made this point last year. Jesus wants us safe. And, and nothing in Scripture guarantees your safety. So if you came here and, and you thought that I was going to tell you that if you accept Jesus, um, everything works out. Everything um, is going to go smooth. Uh, that is not the case. 
And anyone who has followed Jesus for any amount of time will tell you that he, that safety is not what Jesus is after, but what he promises is security. Security. Jesus guarantees us security, not safety. Now, I have found over the years that what has developed in me um, is the, the more I know him, the less I'm concerned about safety. The more I trust that what, now, now listen, um, am I saying that we should run and bear hug people that come in our houses with guns to steal from us? No. Hey, come here, buddy. No, that's, that's not going to happen in my house. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. But many times, we will push aside and say, Jesus doesn't want me to do this because it's not safe. When really, Jesus never guaranteed us safety. He guaranteed us security. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will walk with you. And he proved it to Daniel in the lion's den. He proved it to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He proved it to Moses as they were walking through dry land in the Dead Sea. He proved it to the dead girl that life isn't always safe, but you are secure in Jesus. Woo! Being a Christian is more than being good and safe. <laughs> being Jesus, be, being a Christian has got to be more than me being on the couch and checking off, man, I've been good today. It has to be more than that. Not only is that just boring, but it's not what Christ calls us to. Christ calls us to go, and he says, I'm with you, let's go. So fear. Number two, self-righteousness. If I had a dime for every time I was talking to another Christian about someone's circumstance and they pull this card. And a lot of us won't say this, but we'll think it. People should be more like me. Oh, Yeah. They wouldn't have gotten where they are if they had just made the decisions like I would have made them. They wouldn't have ended up where they're at. They need to be more like me. She would have never ended up in the place where she needed um, an abortion if she had just made decisions like me. Never would have ended up addicted to drugs or they wouldn't have done this, that, or the other because people should be like me. That is an error. You are not the hope. And listen, your righteousness, I promise you, will not get you through the pearly gates. It is his righteousness that gets you through. Yeah. And the other thing um, that people will often say is they probably had it coming. Oh, don't act like you haven't said it. They probably had it coming. Look at how they've been living there. No compassion at all. Coming from the lips of those who profess Christ. Coming from, and this is why people, so if you're not a Christian in here today, this is why a lot of non-Christians would say, um, 
that Jesus must not be real because the compassion Christ showed you never leaves your body. Woo! Man. And that's just not, I'm amped this morning. I'm going to tell you right now, I am amped. This word right here is just as much pricking my heart and convicting me as it's convicting you. And I pray that when you leave here, it's this word that has convicted you to live differently. That this transformation doesn't stop at, I said yes to Jesus. But that you go and you live a life where you say, Christ is with me, come Hell or high water. Number three. And I'll close. Lack of empathy and compassion. There there are studies coming out that say this is the least empathetic generation and compassionate generation that has ever been. Like, they'll get behind a cause, but it's not because they they feel for it. It's just because they want to be behind a cause. And I think the more... And it's it's hard because we're in America, right? Um, We have so much freedom here. And while there are, yes, bad things that happen in the good old U.S. of A., <laughs> y'all remember when we talked about Nehemiah? I'm kind of go off script here. One of the very first things we learned about in Nehemiah chapter 1 was that Nehemiah had gotten this news about people he did not know. He got this news about people he did not know and it took his legs out from under him. And he felt such a level of empathy and compassion and despair that he prayed for weeks. Prayed for weeks. And I think we have just become numb to pain and the pain people face. We've become numb to it. And, and I don't know, maybe it's the media. I, I, there's maybe, I don't know if there's one finger to point and blame here. But so, you, and I, I remember, um, and I think I've told this story before, um, a couple shootings ago. I, I remember getting the news of the shooting and saying, man, there's another one. And then I went about my day. And conviction set in because I realized I was becoming numb and I lacked empathy and compassion. I was at the bedside of um, a 72-year-old gentleman last week. I didn't know him. He's in the ICU at the VA, and um, 
And this is one thing Christ has been working out and wrestling out in my spirit. The son of this man says, how do you do this? Stand at the bedside of someone you don't even know and, and, and do this all the time. I, I just don't get it. I couldn't do it. And I said, I told him that um, God created all of us, right? We just talked about this Imago day, this image of God that we all bear. And here laying in this bed, yeah, I've never met this man, but I know who created him. I know where he came from. And so I have compassion for him. And how dare we look at the hurts around our communities and around the world and not feel a thing. One of the reasons is be, uh, we, we lack this empathy and compassion is because we distract ourselves from feeling deeply. You know what you do when things start getting uncomfortable? Right here. I'm going to play solitaire for about an hour and a half. I'm going to stream Netflix until I pass out. There's a really good book, and I forget the name of it now. This, this woman said that smart, the smartphone generation, um, the smartphone is one of the main reasons. We're able to disconnect and unplug from feeling anything anymore. We go back to our houses where it's safe and secure and we just disconnect and feel nothing for those who are in pain. Um, and, and if I had one thing that I wanted you to leave here and know is that Jesus wants us to feel the weight of a broken world and be shaped by it. Jesus wants you to feel the brokenness and, and allow that to shape your life and how you're living it out. And so what does this have to do with sanctity of life? Yes. And amen to God's image being born in the womb and that it's its own being. But then also for the young lady or the woman who has to make this decision or has made this decision oftentimes will step and walk to the other side of the road instead of walking alongside them in compassion and love that same compassion and love that you were shown in abundance yeah that's what he's calling you to. That's what he's calling us to as a church is to step in, not step away. That we lean in, we, we pick up the beaten and the broken, we put them on our horse and we carry them to the next destination. That's his call today. That's his desire for you today. I have... Um, and I'll tell you some of the ways that Transformation Church is doing that. We are the, um, um, right up in the second floor of our education building is the headquarters for Grace Home Ministries. Um, Grace Home Ministries walks alongside young women who make the choice uh, for life. 
and they provide them resources and job training and help with school and help with supplies and, and they walk alongside these young women and point them to Jesus. Um, out in the foyer, you're going to see um, little flyers and pamphlets from where we partner with the Chesterfield um, Pregnancy Help Center. Um, you'll, you'll see us do baby bottle drives and things like that because we believe in life, but we also believe life is on both sides of that operation table. And it's not enough. It is not enough for us to say, okay, abortion's murder, and it's, it's not enough to say that. We also have to say that God's grace and, and, and mercy is deep enough to reach anyone, no matter what, what road a decision they've made. And that we provide a place where they can run to Jesus and fall at his feet. And, and Christ can wring out of their heart guilt and shame and replace it with joy and peace. We have to create that. We have to allow that. And you are charged with being the Jesus in the flesh for those. In this community at least. Today I'm leaving waiting because today statistics will say there's a young woman making that decision, multiples, making that decision this very day. And so we're going to take a moment today at the end of this service and I want to pray for those making that decision today. I want to pray for these women. I want to pray for these families. And it's not just women. There are young men tied to this too. They don't have jobs. They're trying to figure out, I don't, know, I don't have the money to provide for a child. And so this, they think this is the $300 option that should work for them. And, and, and we have got to be Christ to them, not just in prayers, but tangibly. Would you help me pray? for them today. If we're going to preach prayer all month, I believe we should pray to a God that's big enough to help us with it. A God that's big enough to heal it. A God that's big enough and not scared to step into it. So would you just help me pray, Father, today I am burdened and weighted for those who are making the decision this very moment, this week, in the next couple days, the ones who made it last week, God, would you step in through your Holy Spirit? And for those making the decision today, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would steer them to see you in the child, that it is not just flesh, it is, it is not just a sack, but God, it is God breathed. You breathe life into this being. Lord, would you awaken their spirits to that and then surround them with your family, the body of Christ, to help them walk it out and figure it out. And Lord, we also pray this morning for those who have already made the decision, those who are already wearing the burden, wearing the weight of it. God, my prayer for that person today is that they would run to your feet and leave it there. That they would lay it 
at your feet and leave it there. That you would, if you were here in this room today, and I believe you are, God, if you were here physically, I believe you would pick up their heads and say you are forgiven. I love you. I see you. And I care. Lord, it is by your spirit only that these things can happen. It is by your presence only that these things can work out. And you are the only God that can heal these wounds. And so we pray for them right now, wherever they are, Father. Let your Holy Spirit heal, restore, and provide a way. I know, God, you are a way maker. When there seems to be no other way. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.